Chapter 8 Jack was glad of the excuse to escape from the house next morning. It was not a happy place to be. Mr. Bagthorpe had had a row with Dr. Winter Winters the previous evening and was in bed sulking. Grandpa and Grandma had also opted to miss breakfast. The former because he said that until television started there was nothing to get up for till he got his new hearing aid. The latter because she said she could feel her appetite going, probably for good. Mrs. Bagthorpe was up to her ears and her problems, and Mrs. Fosdyke was still fulminating about her Dresden. The atmosphere at breakfast was so heavily loaded that Jack found it hard to get in his piece about being drawn to Isham by an invisible magnet. He was, however, determined to do so. Now that he had embarked on the career of being a phenomenon and a prophet, he felt he owed it to Uncle Parker, as well as himself, to carry it through. It would help Zero, too, because there had to be a certain kudos attached to being the chosen dog of a prophet. Jack had risen early, taken his plan of campaign from between the comics, and done his homework. First he wrote a brief account of his third mysterious impression of the previous day as follows. 3. Stared over father's ear again, and he nearly went wild and made Dr. Winters look at me before his arm. P.S. Also did an accidental M.I. by showing Zero how to pick up sticks in his mouth. Father thought I thought I was a dog and sent for the doctor again. There was a terrible row. Lavender Man Bearing Tidings This went really well. Uncle Parker is a really good actor, and no one can possibly suspect us of plotting, yet. We must be very careful to be seen apart, though. Jack then set out the next few pages of the book. He wrote, Consolidate, at the top of one page, underline it carefully, then underneath wrote, Create as many mysterious impressions as humanly possible. P.S. Omit Grandma, and if possible, Father. Omit? Omit. I'll leave her out of the mysterious oh. impressions. The next two pages he headed Prong 1 and Prong 2, again underlining, and leaned back. It was very satisfying to have things on this sort of business-like footing. It gave a kind of order to something that could very easily be taken for blind chaos. It pulled everything together somehow. He replaced the notebook, said, Guard, boy, to zero, and went down. It was a relief that Mr. Bagthorpe was not at breakfast, but the rest of them seemed tacitly to be ganging up on Jack to try to undermine him. He told himself that this was a good sign, as people only tend to want to undermine their equals, and at the same time last week they would not have thought it worth their while. They sit in on him right from the word go. "'Did you sleep well, dear?' inquired Mrs. Bagthorpe. She did not ask this anxiously, but in a carefree way intended to assure him that she was not really concerned one way or the other. "'Yes, thanks,' said Jack. "'Didn't wake up to see a monk on top of the wardrobe, then?' asked William. "'I think you are mixing me up with Uncle Parker's aunt,' replied Jack, keeping his cool. <laughs> "'I thought we'd agreed there were no such things as ghosts,' said Tess edgily. She had slept with her light left on and had not had, had, not had too good a night. She was not, in fact, altogether sure that she hadn't glimpsed a monk on top of her wardrobe. <laughs> "'I wish I could have seen you with that stick in your mouth,' Rosie said, in tones as muffled as if she were in the same position, only in her case the impediment was toast. "'You must have looked really silly. Will you go and do it again, so as I can take a photo of you?' <laughs> "'No,' replied Jack simply. 
All he had to do was refuse to be drawn. He had Uncle Parker's promise of a manifestation the size of a house, and could afford to keep calm. "'I like to keep records of things,' said Rosie. This was true. It was this magpie instinct that had prompted her to secure autographs of the firemen. It also probably explained why she liked doing portraits. "'Well, darlings, have you all decided what you're going to do today?' asked Mrs. Bagthorpe, almost gaily. "'Do my Danish,' said Tess promptly. "'Just think, at lunch we'll all be talking in Danish.' "'You speak for yourself,' said William. "'I'm going to do a secret portrait of Grandma,' Rosie announced. "'I feel really sorry for her, getting both the others spoiled, "'especially as it wasn't even her fault. "'I think I'll be able to do it better without her there "'because she keeps putting me off "'and asking about her eyes and nose and things. <laughs> "'Which were, after all, conspicuously lacking from the first two, said William, "'who, when in a bad mood, was not above being sarcastic "'at the expense of someone only half his age.' As it happened, Rosie had an answer. "'There's a very famous portrait of Virginia Woolf without nose and eyes,' she said. "'So there. It looks just like her as well.' "'And what about you, Jack?' asked Mrs. Bagthorpe. He was well aware that it was his movements she was particularly interested in. He recognized that this was the only chance he was going to get to pull in a mysterious impression. He looked at his plate instead of her and said, "'I feel... I feel an urge to go to Isham. You what? choked William through a mouthful of coffee. <laughs> I feel as if I am being drawn there by an invisible magnet. There was a definite silence. Jack kept looking at his plate as if into a crystal ball. Father could be right about him, you know, said William at last. Oh dear, said Mrs. Bagthorpe. I wish you wouldn't say things like that, Jack. Like what? He did look up now. All I said was that I felt like going into Isham. That wasn't quite how you put it, dear, said his mother. I don't know whether I should let you go. I'll catch the twenty-past-nine bus, Jack said. I'll have to hurry. None of you others would like to go in with him, I suppose, she asked. No, they replied promptly in chorus. Jack was by the door. "'Mother, I suppose, do you think Zero could lie in your room while you're doing your problems?' "'He's not ill, is he?' "'No,' Jack said. "'But he might be, if Father comes down and starts calling him names. He'd lie absolutely doggo. You wouldn't know he was there.' "'He would lie quietly, chewing up all your letters. But you wouldn't know he was there,' said William. "'Not without a degree of justification.' Zero had been known to chew paper. The only time Mr. Bagthorpe had ever praised him was once in the early days when he had chewed up a telephone bill and a final demand for income tax. <laughs> you will let him, won't you, mother? pleaded Jack. At this point, Mrs. Fosdyke pushed brusquely by him with a tray. Mr. Bagthorpe Sr. has gone back to sleep, she informed them, and Mrs. Bagthorpe Sr. don't want her breakfast. Says she don't think she'll ever want her breakfast again, Two wasted breakfasts. Please, said Jack again, and his mother nodded. He took Zero along to get him settled in Mrs. Bagthorpe's room before leaving. You just lie there and act invisible, he told him, and for heaven's sake don't chew any paper, right? Zero's tail moved in a way that could be interpreted one way or the other, 
but Jack patted him anyhow and said, "'Good boy!' with great feeling, because he knew that if you trusted people they tended to justify your trust. Mrs. Bagthorpe had once explained this to him, and Jack thought the same might apply to dogs. Uncle Parker picked Jack up just outside the village to reduce the likelihood of his being seen. "'If anyone does say anything, just say I happened to be driving by and picked you up,' Uncle Parker told him. He accelerated with such force that Jack was pressed right back against the seat. "'Got to get a move on. Get a good look round this occult shop before meeting that train.' They did not get a move on for long, because they caught up with another car. There were another three miles of narrow, winding lanes before the main road. "'Look at that!' exclaimed Uncle Parker disgustedly. "'It's always the same. You've only got to get on a stretch of road like this, and next thing you know you're sitting on the tail of a perishing hat.' Jack said nothing. He was well acquainted with Uncle Parker's theories about other drivers. Uncle Barker put all drivers other than himself into one of various categories, none of them flattering. Rock bottom of these, Jack knew, was the hat category. The minute you get behind a hat, Uncle Parker would say, you know you've finished. Doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman, and a flat cap, you get behind a flat cap, and you might as well reverse back to where you started and try an alternative route. He had actually done this once, on this very stretch of road, when trapped behind a flat-capped man driving a 1956 Morris Minor, he had reversed at speed for half a mile. Grandma, who had been persuaded to get into the car only with the utmost difficulty in the first place, had screamed the whole way backward, even though her eyes were tightly shut. <laughs> if we are stuck behind a hat, said Uncle Parker, we may as well get some notes written. The speed we are going at, 40 miles per hour, you could balance a spirit level on your nose, let alone right. Got prong one? 